Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I'm sorry that last week did not work. At the last minute, my famous uh, Jeep broke down again. You've all heard so much of one day after picking it up and actually just driving away from the dealership. Um, oh, well, the saga of life. But uh, so while a couple of, and I heard a couple of people didn't get notified, I'm so sorry. We tried to have the office call everybody and uh and yet there were a couple here, so my apologies to that. But uh, we're back today in John chapter 15. So uh, as we begin this morning, let us pray. If you have your prayer cards, let's just pray together our prayer before the study of Scripture. And then we will begin in John chapter 15. you get another one of those? I don't. I'm sorry. I think I, wait a second. I do. Right there you go. Didn't think I had any more. There you go. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. As we look to the Gospel of John chapter 15 and 16, these two, well, really, 15, 16, and 17, You'll notice if your Bible has red print that it's mostly red. This is the longest narration that we have of Jesus. Uh, John gives it to us uh, on the last night of Jesus' life, uh, from the upper transitioning from the the uh, upper room to the garden. And John does not go into the traditional gospel scenes of the the talking about the, uh, the the institution of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper. He doesn't go into that in, in, a, in a normal way that we're used to it from the other Gospels. He doesn't talk about Jesus' agony in the garden in a normal way, in the way we're used to reading it in the other Gospels. But John does touch on all those things in his Gospel as we've been learning. And we started uh, on our last time together just a little bit into chapter 15, but I'm going to go ahead and because I know several of you weren't here. I'm just going to go ahead and take the whole first 11 verses as a section, because those first few verses that we touched on really do uh, continue in through verses 4 through 11. So let's take that one section of the first 11 verses of John chapter 15, and let's listen to Jesus as he speaks some of the most beautiful words of life into the life of his followers. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's stop there. There are three themes that we want to at least make sure we cover today, and those themes are the theme of the vine, which is the overall theme of this chapter, the idea of the true vine. Jesus is very careful to point out that he is a true vine. Now, obviously, that means there must be something that's not true also. We'll talk about that. And then this concept of abiding in Christ. Did you hear how many times, as I was reading that, that you kept hearing the word abide, abide, abide in me, abide in me. Yours might say remain in me. I, I just kind of love that word abide. It just has this anchored feeling. I don't know. Um, and then the third theme that we want to be sure and touch on before we finish today is this idea of unconquerable joy. Now that's my adjective in front of it, unconquerable. Your scripture doesn't say that. Jesus just talks about his joy. But what we're going to learn today and make sure we understand is that his joy is unconquerable. But let's go back to the, the top of the, the scriptures here and, and think about the vine. This idea of a vine is a, is a fascinating idea to me. We, we think of the grapevine, okay? The grapevine is an interesting choice by Jesus because, as we said, he doesn't talk in the usual way that the Gospels do about the institution of the Lord's Supper, which we know is wine and bread. And we talked last time we were together about the, the cups of wine and uh, the importance of those in the Passover Supper. And uh, that idea that, that wine is the fruit of the vine is very, very important because that fruit of the vine is what we are all to be about. We also, I think I mentioned last time that the idea of the, the fruit of the vine was, uh, you know, this is the, how do you get fruit from a vine? Well, you first have to pick the grapes, right? You, you pick that fruit, then you have to smash them. And there is that image of Jesus being smashed, if you will, being squeezed and tortured and don't to, to bleed. First before you smash them? Well, um, I don't know. I'm not a winemaker, but... Um, <laughs> By the time the grapes get to my table, there's usually a few bad ones in there, but hopefully fresh off the vine they're not. But uh, whenever I think about making wine, I have no experience whatsoever at it, but I always think of that funny 
episode of I Love Lucy where she's yeah. trampling around in that big old vat, you know, with her with her bare feet and stomping grapes, you know. And I understand in the old world in Italy they really did that. Uh, at least I, I think that's what I understand. But uh, don't look to me for any expertise on winemaking. <laughs> but but this idea that that Jesus was broken and and poured out, his blood was spilled. You know, the fruit of the of the vine. Was spilled. Jesus wants us to understand that He is the vine. And what is the vine? The vine is the very source of life. Okay? He goes to great lengths to discuss the relationship between branches and vine. Branches and vine. Well, where does the fruit grow? It grows on the branch, okay? As it branches off, there's, there's a main vine, you know, a main stalk, if you will. And then it vines out and branches out. And there's fruit hanging from from these branches, and so he goes to very clear, uh, kind of a length at length here to talk about this relationship between the branches and the vine, and he wants to be sure that we understand that our role here, his followers, he was speaking to them, but he's speaking to us. Okay, we choose to be followers of Jesus, therefore, what applied to them applies to us in our Christian life. And he wants to be sure that they understood that there is no life outside the vine. You pick a branch off the vine, what happens? It's going to die. might look pretty for a while, right? We do that with cut flowers all the time. You know, they look pretty for a while. You keep them in water, they look a little pretty a little longer. But eventually, they're going to die. Anything cut off from its life source dies. Human beings die. We all die. But Jesus is very careful. And one of the things we've been learning carefully through the Gospel of John, especially if you'll think back to chapter 5, is that as human beings, as the creation in the image of God, we don't really die. Our body dies for a while, but even it gets resurrected in the end. But we don't really die. Now, we do really die to ourselves, okay, to our will, if you will, but we don't really die. We lay down our bodies and we are translated in spirit and soul to the ever after. To We don't know all of what that looks like, but we know that that is called eternal life be a great study for another time to just kind of talk more about heaven and all the things that that might look like. But for now, I wanted just to remind you that Jesus is very careful to say, if you don't remain in me, if you don't abide with me, you will die. In fact, um, the cold hard truth is that not every branch bears fruit, is what Jesus is saying too. Because he describes some branches that don't bear fruit, doesn't he, in this real vine? And, and what happens to branches that don't bear fruit? They put in the fire and burn. Well, they're pruned first. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're pruned. And what's pruning? Cutting them off, right? And why is it important that the vine be pruned? What does that do for it? Besides, oh, that branch isn't taken away. and It's not bearing fruit, so let's take it off. So the dead don't take away the life of the others? Yeah, so a branch that's not bearing is still sucking nutrients out of the vine, right? I mean, it's still got green leaves on it. It's still alive. 
but it's sucking nutrition and it's not producing anything. Yes, back here. The, Luther. If you prune the branch off at the wrong time of year, you can, it's, it's proof of that. A grapevine, it will drip, drip, drip. Interesting. All of that nutrient is if you prune it at the wrong time, so there's a time when it needs to be pruned, huh? That's good. It's good to know. What did you say, Sylvie? It spilled out. Yeah, it spilled out. So, uh, and I don't know much about pruning. I'm, you know, everything I've ever grown that needs to be pruned, I've not done a very good job at. You know, <laughs> roses. You know, I've, I've never grown grapes. My mother grew grapes, but uh, I know grapevines are grapevines are kind of famous for getting unruly. You know, they just kind of grow all over the place, don't they? You, you, you drive by a vineyard, which we have a precious few in Kansas, but I did a wedding once at a vineyard uh, here in Kansas, and it was I just stood there for a while and studied and looked at the, the rows, the nice, neat rows of vines that are planted and the trellises that they're, that they're trained to grow on. And, and they're, as they're pruned, they're wrapped, and they're trained to grow, and they just look so nice and orderly. And I, and I think there's an analogy there. Uh, I'm sure that this vision was coming to the disciples as they're hearing this, because lots of vineyards in the Middle East, and you know they grew up around vineyards. That was the staple of the Middle Eastern diet was to drink wine. You know there was water was sometimes uh, far and few and precious in between, and you could take water and mix it with wine and in that process uh, preserve the water. You could make wines of varying strengths. Uh, they didn't necessarily always have, uh, all their wine wasn't as strong as, as uh, we like to think of it sometimes. Uh, scriptures do talk about things like strong drink as opposed to uh, everyday drink and wine and things. But but this was an image. He's talking to them in ways that they understood. This was a very common metaphor to them. And uh, they all probably grew up thinking, wow, the, you know, the vine gets... So what, when a vine gets unruly, that's usually a sign that it has lots of branches that are not bearing fruit. Okay. Uh, and, and those, you just have to prune them or you end up losing the whole thing. So he has here, Jesus is being very careful to say, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, is verse 5, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So we know now, who is it that bears fruit? Which branch? If each one of us in this class is a branch, we represent a branch on Jesus' vine. Who are the ones that are bearing fruit? The ones that are doing something. The ones that are abiding. Yeah, and I so just, I want to really spend some time. We need to think about, this is a beautiful metaphor, and it's a wonderful poetic phrase. There's an old hymn, Abide in Me. I, I just love that hymn. Uh, I can't sing it for you. I mean, it's abide in me. Fast falls the evening tide. Some of you know it, yeah. I mean, that's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful hymn. I never can think, I can only get past the first line and I forget the words, you know. So I, I like to make up my own words when I go along. <laughs> I do that with songs all the time, and I'll be sitting in the car singing and make up my own line instead of just stopping and our daughter or somebody or sometimes, wrong. that's not the way that goes. <laughs> that's why, I, you know, it's just, in my heart, I'm just singing a melody. The you old know. hymn of bringing in the cheese. And bring, <laughs> making up things. So, so what we want to do here is we want to we want to stop and think. What does it mean to abide in Christ? 
We, we must get that. John Wesley, Go ahead. John Wesley gives reference to John 6, 32. Okay. And it says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Yeah. So abiding in him, I would say, would be <coughs> feasting mm-hmm. on the bread from heaven. Feasting on the bread from heaven. And John 6 is the parallel chapter to this chapter. John 6 is where he talks about the bread that we think of as the bread of, of the Lord's Supper. John 15 is where he's really bringing us the vision of the fruit of the vine, the cup, if you will. So John does deal with these images. And in this fruit of the vine and this bread of heaven that he talks about in chapter 6, that we know as the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving meal. Remember that Eucharist is a Greek word for Thanksgiving. This is the word the earliest Christians applied. When we say things like the Lord's Supper, uh, Holy Communion, those are those are not early church terms. They spoke Greek, and Greek was the Eucharist. That's what they did. Every time they got together on the Lord's Day, they shared the Eucharist together. We see that in all the writings of the very earliest writers of the early church, in the historical writings. And they talk about it in such a way that it is truly a life-giving force. And this is part of the mystery. This is part of the mystery of God. He's still nurturing us today, 2,000 years later, when we share that beautiful sacrament, that beautiful Eucharistic sacrament, it's nourishment to our souls. It's a part of abiding in Christ. Sometimes we're tempted to just think abiding in Christ means, I, well, I, I have faith, I believe. I believe, so I'm abiding. But I want to transition us into thinking. If we're really going to grow from this time of Bible study, we, I want us to be changed. I want Bible study to transform us. The Apostle Paul says in Romans that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So while we're not really reading Scripture prayerfully this morning like you do in, in prayer, prayer languages of Scripture, We're reading it for study. We're trying to study it for all it's worth. We want it to transform us. And perhaps the greatest thing that we could learn this morning to be transformed in Christ is to figure out what it means to abide. Now, those of some of you know that I'm kind of been teaching a parallel, kind of a parallel class because I didn't plan them to be parallel. But on Wednesday nights, I've been teaching a class on prayer. Okay. Uh, some of you are in it, and we've been about five weeks in that, I think, and there's one more week left in it, and we'll repeat it again someday. I've been recording them, too. I haven't gotten it, only one of, uh, up on the uh, podcast, but eventually, pretty quick here, we'll get the rest of them up. But in that discussion on prayer, what we're learning especially in this idea of petitionary prayer and intercessory prayer, is we're learning that we are abiding in Christ. Last night I read from a passage from Andrew Murray, a famous minister of the 1800s who wrote prolifically on the subject of prayer. And he talks at length about abiding in Christ. To learn to pray is to abide in Christ. Okay. And then out of that prayer life, if you will, uh, flows the fruit of our lives. So what is the fruit of our lives? Well, it, 
it, it can be seen. You can see fruit on a tree. You can't miss it. It's there. Okay? And it comes in two kinds. Right? Good fruit and bad fruit. Good fruit and bad fruit. There is such a thing as bad fruit. Yeah. It is possible for us as Christians to get off track, to not stay connected very well, to, uh, to bear bad fruit. And when we do that, we must remember that uh, not only does, uh, I think you said it, you know, you throw the bad grapes away first, you know, uh, bad fruit won't last. So how do we keep ourselves abiding in Christ, knowing that we're going to produce good fruit? you got to stay in the Word and keep yourself um, connected to the Holy Spirit is the, the way I do it. Okay. Not, and not only, I, I hear where you're going, not only just in the Word. We hear that a lot. Yeah. You can be in the Word all day long, though, and never pray. Oh, that's right. I want to... Teach us to be in the Word, to abide in the Word prayerfully. Would it be like staying as close to the Lord as you possibly can? Absolutely. So close that you're constantly talking to Him. You're constantly thinking about Him. That everything you do is a reaction to something that He's taught you, or you see His work at, at work in your life or someone else's life, or you see a need in someone else's life, and so you stop and you think and you pray and you just throw these prayers. Prayer soon, for the person who's abiding in Christ, prayer soon becomes the very breath of your lungs. You see? Not just, oh, that's something I, I got to stop and do. I, darn, I didn't do my prayers today. I didn't do my prayers or whatever. Or, or we're all together, so guess what? We're going to pull out this prayer card. We're going to read our prayer before we... Prayer eventually becomes the very breath of our lives. That's what Jesus wants us to hear, that abiding in him is. So, yes. Here, I don't know all, but it says, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so he's, he's got to be in us too. Yeah, that's right. So if we're abiding in him, he is in us. <laughs> It says if okay. we, if we uh, get into the Word and hide the Word in our hearts, then we won't sin against Him. It says, yes, in, in verse 7, look at verse 7 with me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Earlier Jesus was has said several times, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Amen. This idea of a reciprocating a place of being. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. That's part of the mystery of the Holy Trinity. How are they one, but yet they're separate? Well, it's kind of like us. How are we in Christ and how is Christ in us? It is a mystery. I see a question back there. Well, you sing it out. We won't know it unless you sing it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a scripture that we're just we just read that scripture. How does the song go? I'm not thinking of the song. Okay, well I believe you. <laughs> I believe that's that song is born. I don't I can't think of the tune. I can't think of it. I'm sorry, but I do. That's taken from this very scripture. I can't think of words. Sing it out if you know it. <laughs> Well, that, that's, a, that's the old hymn I talked about a minute ago, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, she's thinking of a different one. Yeah, she's thinking of a different one. Um, a more contemporary song, I think you're thinking of, than the old hymn. But but you get this, you get the idea. Jesus says very poignantly that apart from me, it's the last part of verse five. Apart from me, you can do nothing. One of the challenges we have in our humanity is that we can very quickly and easily think that we can do a whole lot. Now, I, I'm famous for saying we can. We think we can put a man on the moon. We think we can do anything, you know. But the truth is, we can do nothing. That's right. That doesn't come from God. Yes, Debbie. Well, a story comes to my mind. It was a long time ago. I can't even remember. We kept some kids that came up for some reason, and along the way, they they saw these big apple trees, and they they were relating this story to us. They said, "Oh, we got to stop and pick some of those apples," and they got out of their vehicle and they ran over to the tree to find out that it's hedge balls. Oh, thought they were green apples, huh? <laughs> my thought was I don't want to be uh, mistaken for, yeah. for something that yeah. I'm not. Yeah. That I, when they run up to me, I want them to find the fruit, not the hedge ball. You want them to find good fruit. Right. That's right. That's, right. that's anyway, excellent. That just came to my mind. That's good. Kids. <laughs> that's laugh. good. We laugh about hedge balls all the time. Yeah. You know what hedge balls are good for, don't you? Oh, yeah. They'll keep bugs out of your basement. That's what I hear. It works. It works? Keep yeah, crickets, I yeah. I think so. Absolutely not. I, I, I used to hate hedge balls. We had a hedge tree, and they would they were a nuisance to have to pick up and mow around and things. And then someday... Well, on 119, One day somebody told me, put them in your basement. Well, you, if you have a carpeted basement, you don't want to... You know, no. because they ooze this stuff that's really yucky. But that's what, <laughs> if you have them uh, somewhere near maybe the outside of the foundation or something, it would probably be good. Uh, so even things that look bad sometimes have a good have a good good thing. If Christ, everything Christ created is good, right? Everything Christ created is good. Even crickets. Even crickets. Crickets are good. They're part of the food chain. Somebody, somebody eats crickets. Well, actually, there's humans that eat crickets in Africa and different places. You know, I've been told, been told they're a delicacy in some places. Um, not for me. So uh, it, let's continue this thought. It, so we're we're trying to figure out what does it look like to abide in Christ. Well, it looks like it's a it looks like a person who has a vibrant life of prayer. That's one of the things we don't want to miss. It looks like a person that is vibrantly walking and talking with Jesus. And when you see that in a person, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's beautiful. And and it's unmistakable. The love of God, the love of Christ, when it overflows through human beings, it's unmistakable. And it's the most beautiful thing ever. It's why? Because it's God's very being being lived out. Because God's love is the most beautiful thing in the world. It is totally unconditional. There's no dark areas of God's love. There's no selfishness to God's love. God's love is pure. And so when we when we're abiding in Christ, we're learning how to let his love abide in us and his love flow through us. So it's true that Christian people are to do good works. The Apostle Paul talks at great length about that. I don't know that John ever uses those words. But the Apostle Paul uses it over and over. James, uh, the, James, the brother of our Lord, you know, James, the book of James, he uses that phrase over. Do good works. 
that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We don't do them just because we're trying to earn our way to heaven, but we do them because that's the love of God overflowing from us. And if we see a life that's void of good works, if we see a life that is that is not steeped in prayer, well, we, we can say maybe two things. They're either a very baby Christian believer and they haven't gotten that deep yet, or they're if they've been around the gospel a long time, and they've been around the church a long time, and they've been around the, 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 you know, the teachings a long time, but yet they've never gotten the mature enough to let that love overflow and to let those works overflow. We, we've got to stop and think, hmm, where's the, where's the proof? Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Because Jesus says, you know the tree by its fruit. You know the fruit. So our fruit should be visible. Amen. Bottom line, our fruit should be visible. And, uh, and it should be good fruit. Um, in verse 7, he goes on to say, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it, it shall be done for you. These are some of the most oft uh, bewildering, misunderstood words in all of the gospel. Every one of us, if we're honest, has scratched our head at this and figured out, I, I, I don't understand why Jesus said that. I've prayed for things before, and, and I've, I think I'm abiding in him, and, and it just doesn't happen. Well, this is the parallel to our class on prayer, and eventually you'll get to hear more of that when I upload those podcasts. But one of the things we're learning in that class is that prayer is, is truly about learning to let Jesus pray through us. Because I don't have time to develop that whole thought in this class, but I want to just touch on it because it's part of the abiding in Christ is that Christ truly wants to pray through us. He wants to so inhabit us, inhabit our praise and inhabit our prayers, inhabit our thoughts, that, that he is guiding us to know what to pray for. Okay, now think with me of the words of the Apostle Paul in chapter 8 of the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul says, sometimes I'm paraphrasing him here, sometimes we just don't know how to pray. But we know the Holy Spirit intercedes with us, intercedes for us, I mean. We know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Okay, so even when words escape you, Perhaps that's even when you could be praying the deepest and the greatest. Think about that with me for a minute. Perhaps even when words escape you, that's when you could be praying the deepest and the greatest. Because you're so heartfelt, you're so moved, and you just want to pour out to God, but you don't even find the words. The Holy Spirit knows your heart, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Okay, so prayer isn't always about our words. It can be, and it should be, and we've, we've talked about that. I can't go into all that this morning, but I do want us to think in terms of, you know, I think it was, I want to give credit to C.S. Lewis. I'm always probably giving people listening to these podcasts later on, and they'll say, that guy, he's always giving credit to the wrong person. <laughs> but I think I want to give the credit to C.S. Lewis that said this. Because, you know, I think I hear things, you know. I know I've read it, and I know I've heard it. I just don't always remember where I read it and where I heard it. But I think C.S. Lewis said, pray often, and if you must, use words. <laughs> think about that. 
Pray often. And, and if it's not C.S. Lewis, whoever it is, the Lord give them credit for it. They're probably dead now because I know it was somebody that's dead. But uh, they're alive in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. They're not really dead. They're alive in Christ. You know, I've had some times when I just just couldn't pray. Mm-hmm. And a little later on, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a peace come over me that was mm-hmm. unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like when you pray sometimes, when I do it, it's kind of like God knows what you're going to say and think before you even do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, God, you know what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Just Absolutely. He does know what you're thinking. He knows, not only does he know your thoughts, he knows your heart and he knows what you need. He knows what we need better than we know what we need. That's why we can truly pray, Father, uh, not my will, but your will. I I, I don't even know if I'm asking right, but I want to stay surrendered. Not my will, but your will. And as we practice this life of prayer, Okay, as we practice our prayer life, and it is something we practice, it's a discipline in life. One of the things I've laid out for the class on Wednesday nights is we, everyone needs a rule of prayer. What do I mean by that? What's a rule of prayer? Um, something to, kind of a structure. A structure, yes, a structure, a model. A rule is something you, you model yourself by or you measure yourself by, right? Mm-hmm. A ruler in school is something you used because it's exact and it tells us what what length something is and so we want to be exact and we want to measure against that rule. Well, think of prayer as a rule and having a life of prayer as a rule. What's your model? What do you measure your life of prayer against? Um, I encourage the class on Wednesday nights to start thinking, start at the beginning, start at Jesus' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the greatest model. Okay, It's not just words to be memorized, although we probably all have it memorized. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having it memorized. But there is great benefit also to looking at those words and praying those words and speaking those words and letting our brain connect with our mouth, which connects to our heart and speaks. Jesus says, out of the heart... Out of the mouth, the heart speaks, is what Jesus says. At another place in the Gospels, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Okay, So prayer. Prayers of prayer, I, I want to encourage you to have a prayer rule that's very audible. You know, you sit down in your living room or your bedroom or your prayer closet or wherever you are. Pray. Pray out loud. It's okay. It's great. It's good for us. It helps form and shape our spirit. Um. And if you're not used to that, get used to it. <laughs> Try. I'm not telling you have to do it that way. There's times when I pray silently, too. Like right now, oh, Lord, help me to fix, finish this class on, on time and do it right. <laughs> you don't know I'm praying that. But, but the point is, uh, in, in when, we, when we see prayer that way, that's a huge part of abiding in Christ. If, if, if you can look at yourself this morning and say, you don't have to share. This isn't confession. But if you can look at yourself this morning and say, I, you know, I, my prayer life is woefully lacking. I just haven't. Then, then, then the Holy Spirit's tapping on your shoulder this morning. And he's calling. He's tapping on the door of your heart. 
that beautiful picture of Revelation 3.20 of Jesus knocking on the door. That was written to believers. Jesus wants to come in fully and sit down with us and, and dine with us and eat with us and sup with us, as the old phrase goes. Uh, share that Eucharistic meal together. The source of life is Jesus Christ in all his ways to abide in us. So practice, develop a prayer life. If you need to start with the Lord's Prayer, start with the Lord's Prayer. You can never get away from it, and it's a part of what? I have some ancient prayers that I use. I love written prayers. I love the written prayers of the ancient church. I love the written prayers of, the, of, the, uh, of many of the saints of the ages. I'm telling you, they're powerful. So I love the written prayers of, of many of the old liturgies of different churches, and I borrow them from lots of different churches. I pray psalms a lot. The psalms are prayers, absolutely. The psalms should be incorporated into our prayer life. So my rule of prayer, for instance, begins with uh, praise. Every rule of prayer should always begin with praise. Okay? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus started with praise. Okay? Now, um, so as we begin with praise and we work through uh, then we begin to work through, after we praise for a while, we begin to have some prayers that guide you through petitions. Petitions, the things that you, you, you need to pray for in your own life. And you can write them down. And sometimes as you begin, to, if you have a rule of some old-fashioned prayers like that that are written down, maybe from a liturgy somewhere, you can, as you form those words, it'll help you think about other things too. And you can write those down. And then you want to flow into... Uh, then I flow into the Psalms. The Psalms are the middle portion of my prayer rule. And I go to read the Psalms because that's praying after God's own heart. These are the Psalms that, that, that are prayed in the, many of them voiced actually in the messianic voice of Jesus. Some of them through the voice of David and a few others. But many of the Psalms are actually given in the spirit of Jesus praying uh, as Messiah to come someday and the things that will be fulfilled. But then, and, and then finally, at the end of my prayer rule, I move into what I call intercessory prayers, or specifically praying for others. Okay. And sometimes there's great benefit. There's been great benefit for me to follow kind of a, a, a written rule. I've borrowed it from ancient liturgies that reminds me who to pray for and what to pray. I pray for the church. I pray for the ministers of the church. Pray for the president. Pray for the governor. Pray for the city police. Pray for the firemen. Pray for everybody. <laughs> And then eventually you're going to, oh, yeah, and what about, and, and then you're going to get to the sick and you're going to get to the, I mean, I, I, uh, I think we should, we need to, if without a prayer rule, how many of us remember to do all those things on our own? How many of us really remember? If we just leave it up to prayer, oh, I've got, I'm, me and Jesus got a good thing going here. I just pray every day. I said, thank you, Lord, for life. Thank you for the gift of life and bless my family and. Oh, yeah, bless. somebody did ask me to pray for them, bless them, and we just move on about our day. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's deficient. There's so much more to abiding in Christ. And if we truly understand the purpose of prayer, okay, and we've touched on this in the past before. It's big in the Wednesday night class. Our prayers are the very thing that God uses our prayers are the very thing that God uses to make his whole plan for the world. When you get that, when you get that, prayer is the most important thing we can do. It is the highest, greatest work that any Christian can offer. That's wrong with the United States. They took away prayers. So it's just kind of, 
Well, you know what? They took away prayer in the school and a lot of the government, but they can't take it away from you. That's true. You know, they cannot take it away from us. And, uh, you know, one of the things we have to get used to as Americans, and, and I love my country. I'm very patriotic. I love my country. But you know what? Christianity wasn't born in America. Christianity was born in a, in a world where there was an emperor, and he wasn't a very nice guy. And they didn't have a Bill of Rights. And they didn't have freedom, quite frankly. But yet Christianity flourished. And it's time us Americans realize that. I'm not down on America. I'm never going to preach down. I love America. I want America to grow. I want America to change. I want America to flourish. But mostly I want America to flourish in the spirit of Jesus Christ as good, loving people. Because one of the reasons I do love America is that it it is because of our freedom that Christianity can flourish. It's very difficult for Christian faith to flourish. Look around the world today in dictatorships and places where it is is difficult. So um, I sometimes wonder if it might have been a gift to Christians if prayer was taken out of schools, because with our equal rights, had it not been taken out, our children would be listening to Muslim prayers, to Chinese prayers. We have to equally have every kind of prayer, so it might have been a gift. That's an excellent yeah, point. That's an excellent point. We don't have American prayers like you do Japan, but they would have been here, perhaps. But but knowing America, knowing America, and where we are today in our equal rights, I think where we are today, probably right. It would be, yeah. um, and maybe that would have to overflow into satanic prayers, and maybe that would have to. I mean, there all could be all kinds of things. You know what I'm saying? So, but the one thing they can't take away from us is they can't take away our own opportunity to pray wherever we are. Okay, taught my children, we taught our children, they can pray in school, silently. Just pray. You can pray all day long. That's one of the things we've tried to pass on to our children. You can pray about everything in your life, no matter where you are. Nobody can take that away from you. Uh, So um, that leads me sort of into this third theme that I want to get to before we run out of time today. Let's see how Jesus gets us there. Uh, Last comment I want to make on verse 7. What does he really mean by if you abide in me and my words abide and you ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you? It's not a credit card on the bank of heaven to get whatever we want. Okay, It's not. It is learning to think God's thoughts after him. And if he is the one that placed in your heart to pray for that, I guarantee you it'll happen. Okay? So that if I walk up to somebody and I know God has told me I want your prayers for that person specifically to do this, it's going to happen. His will be done. Okay. Now, the question is, am I close enough with the Lord to know just what that request is? Am I hearing, am I listening enough to the Lord to know what that request is? That's awesome. What's awesome? Well, I don't know what I said, but what's so awesome? Because I'm not reading from a script up here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. That's awesome. I'm not saying I'm there. Okay. Oh, how I wish I were. But I want to get there. I want you to get there. I want us all because when we get there, guess what? Our world will change. Our church will change, our communities will change, our homes will change, our world will change. That's the transforming power of the gospel. I, I am getting better. And we all have to, but what, it's not going to happen if you don't have a rule of prayer and you don't right. start getting to it. 
so that's the prayer that will always be answered. That's what Jesus, every time Jesus says, he says it a different way in different parts of the gospel. Ask whatever you will, it shall be done. Ask in my name and it shall be done. Doesn't mean just as, because if I say in Jesus' name, boom, that's some magic tag and it gets done. That's not what he's talking about. Can a rule of prayer be everywhere? What do you mean everywhere? Well, like you don't have to specifically yeah. pick a place. It's just everywhere you go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, for instance... When I speak of the when I speak of the rule of prayer, mm-hmm. I'm talking about what the early Christian the early Christians got their prayer life from the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Jewish because they were Jews, the Jewish people had prayers at appointed hours. Okay, uh, six times if I remember right, and I'm not an expert at all that, but there was appointed hours. Okay, and um, if they lived in the temple or they were a Levite or whatever, they would go to pray at the temple, but they did it from wherever they were. Okay. Now, enter Christian faith, early Christianity. They're carrying on this Jewish practice of praying at hours. It tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 4, when Peter and James and John are walking. It's the, I can't remember what hour it is now. Was it the, tell, it says right there in chapter 4. It was at an appointed hour, they're walking into the temple. They're, what are they doing? They're going in there to pray. Because they're in Jerusalem and they're going to pray in God's house. And that's when they meet the guy that's, there and Peter heals him and says, silver and gold I don't have to you, but what I have, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Let me tell you, Peter couldn't have said that before the cross and before Pentecost. But after the filling of the Holy Spirit, he's walking in the power of the risen Christ. He's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he sees a guy and he says, rise and walk. Man, whew, that, that's Jesus praying through him. Now, so what's, what's really powerful about that rule, yes, it's everywhere. Because, but if you, but you need to start with with places. So morning, evening, morning, evening. In fact, if you really want to get serious about it, morning, midday, evening would be excellent. Okay, there's certain prayers that I've adapted for morning. There's certain prayers that I've adapted for evening and bedtime. When I say evening, could be bedtime, could be something like that. And there's certain prayers that I love to pray mid afternoon around three o'clock. I call midday, and those are the prayers, especially that I believe are honoring to Christ in his, the hour in which he was crucified. Um, these are things that that you can find. Just Google online. Uh, you Google things like uh, rule of prayer, morning prayer, evening prayer, midday prayer. You're going to pull them up. And yes, many of them come from the Catholic Church. Many of them come from the Orthodox Church. But they're also found in the Episcopal Church, and they're found in the Lutheran Church, and they're found, they're found in any church that understands its ties to the ancient of days, to the ancient Christianity. Okay, which we're supposed to have. We, we're not a church that was just started in 1895 or 1908. Read our history. Read the front of the manual. We claim to be a part of the one true Catholic and apostolic church, the one holy universal church handed down through the ages. Reformed, yes, but handed down. We cannot just separate ourselves from the vine. Okay, The vine's always been there. Any church that tells you they don't want anything to do with the historic church, Check them off the list, okay? Because, well, then where were they living for 1,500 years or 1,800 years, okay? They were separated from the vine. God didn't wait till the year 19-something or 18-something or 15-something to plant a new vine. The vine of Jesus Christ has always been planted. It's called the church, his body. He is the church. And it's been in succession always, and always will. And Jesus, by his own word, says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
So, um, leads us to this thought of his love. As the Father has loved me, so I love you, verse 9. Abide in my love. So not only abide in my words, abide in my love. See, if we soak up his words, we soak up his love, we abide in him, we can't, it can't help but transform us. And as it transforms us, it flows to the world around us, the others around us. And then he says in 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What does it look like to abide in Christ? If I could draw you a picture right here, beside those words abiding in Christ, it looks like keeping his commandments. It's impossible to abide in Christ unless you keep his commandments. Okay, They're the same thing. The keeping of the commandments is the abiding in Christ. Well, what are his commandments? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor. And love your neighbor and love everyone. As yourself. Okay. You, you've got to have this. You got. I want you to see how this is all woven into a tapestry together. Faith in Jesus Christ is not. The modern world has made it a. Uh, the word I'm looking for here is, is an intellectual thing. It's not. Only an intellectual assent. Okay, I believe, now I have faith. It is a way of living. It is a way of breathing. That's why James says, you show me your works and I'll show you your faith. If your faith isn't working, breathing, living, doing, acting, loving, you got a dead faith. You may have it in your brain that you think you believe, but it's a dead faith. And be careful of dead branches, because what happens to dead branches? They get burned. They eventually get gathered up and thrown away. God is merciful, always merciful. It doesn't say that he necessarily gathers them up right away. You know? But eventually he's going to gather them up and throw them away. Right. We really threw ourselves away. God doesn't throw us away. God never throws us away. <laughs> we threw ourselves away because we have free will. We choose right. to separate ourselves from life. Nothing, and here's where I come to the joy, unconquerable joy. Here's the good news. Nothing can separate you from the vine except you. Right. Nothing and no one, no power in hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand, the song says that we sing in church some days. It's kind of a modern-day hymn that was written. Okay. I forget the name of it, but you know that verse. You can hear it, right? No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. But I can. I can step right out of his hand if I want to. <clears throat> See, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from his joy. And so Jesus is saying all of this because he's saying, these things I have spoken to you. This is verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen. Joy of Jesus Christ. The joy of Jesus Christ is the joy of God. It's the life of God. And we've been called to participate in that life. And he wants to plant it deep within us. And so therefore, Christians should exude joy. It should just flow from our beings. We should be the joy, most joyous people in the world. Yeah, we're human, and there's times when we're not joyful. Just ask my wife. I'm not the most joyful person 24 7, 365 days a year, because I'm human. You're just too busy. That's all. But, by and, but I want to be joyful. I want to be joyful. And when I get to spend time with you like this, it makes me joyful. Okay? No matter how much more business I have to do today, it makes me joyful. 
to spend time talking about God's love and his word and his joy. <laughs> so, 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 yes. Well, thanks, but it's because we have to come to a place where no matter what our circumstances are, we have joy. Joy is not, we, we think, we, especially we Americans, we think that joy is equatable to happiness and surroundings. You know, I can be joyful and be unhappy. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I could, when my loved one dies, I'm not happy. But I'm joyful to know that they are in Christ and that they have life eternal and that, that I will see them. You see the difference? Yeah. Joy isn't happiness. Joy is much greater than happiness. Joy transcends our circumstances. So no circumstance can ever separate us from the joy of Jesus Christ. Right. So maybe that little children's song is right. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. When you get it rooted down deep in your heart, and nothing's going to pluck it away unless you decide to throw it away. And how do we throw away the joy of Jesus? By forgetting to practice our prayer, by forgetting to practice our, our life in Christ. Okay? You, you get away from it, it'll get you. Okay? I got up this morning late because I was up too late last night and was too busy last night. And, and I've been on a roll lately with my rule of prayer. I'm not perfect, guys. I've, I've, there are many times in my life I've dropped my rule of prayer. Okay? And I feel it. And then next thing you know, I'm working out of my energy instead of God's energy. Amen. But, but last night I was tired. I didn't feel good. I was up at 3 in the morning not feeling good this morning. Rhonda hopefully didn't notice that. But I, I was. You know, from 3 to 4, I was awake, you know. So I was praying and reading and praying. And uh, by the time my alarm went off, at, every day at 6.30, my alarm goes off every day at 6.30. Unless I have to get up earlier. I have some 5 o'clock appointments, uh, 6 o'clock appointments, so I get up at 5 some days. But 6.30, every day my alarm goes off. And my rule of prayer is to get up and pray through that rule. Okay? To open my Bible and my prayer books or the different things I use and just pray through that rule and just begin my day that way. And this morning it was like, Okay, I touched the alarm and I hit snooze and then I hit dismiss and I just stayed because by then I, I couldn't go back to sleep for a long time, but I finally did. You know how it works. You finally do, right, before you have to get up, right? And so then I'm laying there. I'm, oh, I'm tired. So then I get up and I'm like frantic. I'm probably not a real joyful person. I'm t- I got to go. I got a lot to do, you know, and I make my decision. Am I going to take time to do my rule of prayer? Well. I made a decision. I knew I had, A, I had to finish writing. I'm doing a funeral service for Sandy Culver's, uh, if you remember him, pray for him. Brian Ellington. Brian is uh, Sandy Culver's son-in-law. Brian, they live in Washington now, Brian and and, uh, and, and his wife Tiffany. And uh, Brian's father died and has asked me to help him with a funeral service this afternoon. And, you know, Brian's just like, oh, it's him and his brother. His mom's gone. His dad's gone. His younger brother died. Now it's just his, him and his brother left. And, and uh and so pray for them if you think about them. But we'll do that at 3 o'clock this afternoon at the Downing and Leahy Mortuary. But uh, but I, I, I still had notes to work on for that funeral this morning. I still had some. I, I cannot come teach here without going through all this. 
I, I don't it's I don't have good enough recall to be able to just get up here and do this without going through this for quite a while. And so I'm like, okay, do I have time to pray? Do I have time to pray? And so I made a decision. You know what my decision was? Pray. Pray. Pray at Starbucks. Okay? So I went to Starbucks. And I got a nice big cup of coffee with caffeine in it. And I sat down, and the first thing I did was open my prayer book. And I started praying and reading my devotions. And I said, I'm not going to work on the funeral. I'm not going to do it. So it was a little out of my order. But still, I said, I can't do it. I can't do it without. And that's... That's just, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm not trying to brag because believe me, if you could see, if I, if we had a, if I had to turn in a log to you of the times I've done it and the times I haven't, I'd be pretty embarrassed. But I want to and, and let that, but you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Isn't that what my mom and dad said? Did your mom and dad say that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, good intentions won't get us there. Let's pray our rules of prayer. Um, and, uh. How did you say that again? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, or what? Yeah. yeah. I don't know who'd give that credit to that one, so I just I give credit to my mom. credit <laughs> when we do the best that we can do. Well, okay, now that reminds me of another saying I'm going to give credit for. See, I, my, my daughter, I think, thinks she laughs probably at all my little sayings. <laughs> and they're not original with me, and I don't, I, don't tell, I don't know if any of them are original with me. You know, I just repeat them. But um, I tell her over and over lately as we're going through this college experience together and trying to encourage her and things get hard, I tell her this one is my favorite. Is, all you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. Oh, that's not me. That was actually, actually, that's written. That's the title of a book, and it's a book written about. A, it's a it's a book written about life, but it's specifically written by a guy who started a multi-level marketing system, of all things, not Amway. Okay, it was a life insurance multi-level marketing system known as A.L. Williams back in the 70s. It's it's still in existence. It's it's other things now. It's got a different name, but his name was Art Williams and. He, he, he wrote that. It's about his own personal life struggle to figure out how all you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. And so I, I you know what? I love that phrase. Because if you're really doing all you can do, it is enough. But just be sure you're doing all you can do. Right? In God's strength, not in ours. Okay? To cooperate with the Lord. Well, we're up to, uh, man, am I going to end on time today? 11.59. Wow. Okay. Sure. But a dear friend of ours, her sister passed away, and um, she is 50, she was 55 years old, and um, she's been battling cancer for 12 years, and um, it had moved in her face. She had um, tumors removed, and then they grow back and removed, and and she ended up losing one of her eyes, and her face became deformed. And she suffered greatly. She had cancer in her hip, and then it went into her brain. And anyway, her service is Saturday morning, yeah. and, and just remember her husband and, and her kids. And Amen. Such an example. Such an example how she suffered. Oh, my, yeah. yes. Still didn't, didn't hide away. But didn't. She became disfigured. That's right. She still was a witness for Christ. Amen, yeah. amen. Something else. Amen. Just amen. Just a couple of weeks ago. And That's right. Just such a testimony. Sorry. Suffering is redemptive if we will let it be. Mm-hmm. Jesus suffered greatly, greater than anyone ever. But it's because of his suffering that we're redeemed. And others may find his redemption. 
if we suffer in that spirit. So when suffering comes, don't go looking for it, but when it comes, embrace it and allow the Spirit of God to help you suffer in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's called redemptive suffering. And others will see, just like we saw in Lori's life, others will see and be, and they will see Jesus. They will see. So we'll remember that in our prayers. Remember the Ellington family. Um, Thank you for coming today. Good to be with you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, these families, the Ellington family and the Hoppet family, are heavy in our hearts today. We thank you for their lives, gifting the world with their lives. But also we lift their families to you as they uh, as they walk through this, this valley of the shadow of death, of grief, and of mourning for their physical loss. But thank you, Father, for your promise of eternal joy, eternal life with you. And so we lift them to you. We lift their families to you. We ask your blessing upon them. We thank you for this time in your word this morning. We ask that you would just cover over anything I've said that might be misleading or wrong and help us all to grow, to learn to truly abide in you. And we shall give you all the praise and all the glory to you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lives and reigns with your Father and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, unto the ages of ages. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you all. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.